Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So today is Coach's Corner Volume 14. I had to triple check before we came on. And we're at episode 182. So I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who is sending messages and stuff from the Coach's Corners because I think when we started doing them at the initial part, we were like, oh, this is going to be a bit of fun. I'm just rant on the microphone. But I think a lot of the ones that we've kind of done relation to kind of like the guilt one in particular with the Q&A from clients, I think will help an awful lot of people. So if you haven't listened, go back and listen to the guilt and shame one. Then the anxiety of things opening back up, I think it's going to help an awful lot of people as well. Um, and I really, really do think that everyone's in the same situation. We're all a little bit nervous about what's happening, what's, what's opening up and all that kind of thing. But we have to also look at it from things have been closed for so long. And it's just feast or famine mode. And mm. I think it's important. I think what we're going to talk about today is kind of fairly apt in that we're talking about the barriers to change that we see. And we're going to talk about a kind of a little bit of scientific stuff. Uh, shock to us, going to go through that. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the psychological barriers to weight loss as well that we kind of see and some of the stuff that we've seen from ourselves. So, Senior Dallas, how are we? Absolutely beautiful. As uh, Jamie would say, I'm looking schlick with my hair. Uh, Mr. Sheen is looking good. Um, so I think the I'll let you start off with kind of like explaining what change is, explaining a, a couple of the models or one of the models that you're talking about off air and the kind of some of the barriers that you see with change and we'll kind of go, we'll, we'll wing it from there. Yeah, cool. We'll have some fun. Um Looking at changes abroad is you can, depending on how you want to classify it or what model you classify, you can see it as anything that's going to bring you closer to a certain goal, or it's going to allow you to see success in whatever you're looking to achieve. But change can all be categorized depending on how you want to see it based on schemas. So basically a schema is just something how we see it's a mental representation of the world for ourselves. So everyone has a schema for X, Y, Z. And the easiest way of explaining the schema, it's for, I'm gonna ask you the question. If you're in an office, Shane, what are some things meant to be in an office? Not people. <laughs> At this current time, yes. Yeah. So what are, what are things you would often see there? You would see computers, you see desks, you see chairs, you would see air conditioning, you see lights, you see windows. Uh, you would see people, uh, exactly. a lot of different things. Exactly. So uh, from that already, we can see that for a lot of people, their mental representation of an office has to have certain amount of things. That means there needs to be people in there. There needs to be shelves. There needs to be desks all segregated in certain aspects. So we've got that mental representation. So if we put you into that environment and we change certain aspects of the environment, say that we've got like a skull and crossbone hanging down from the wall, we have blood trail or whatever that may be. And we tell you 20, 30 minutes later, come down and tell me things that you saw in the office you're still going to end up telling us, oh, there was bookshelves, there was like magazines, because your mental representation of an office is that. That is one way of looking at the world and everybody has their mental representation, which will lead to certain outcomes later in life or when it comes to change. So when we start looking at behavior and how behavior implements and how we can do things, you can take a fog 
So FOGG behavioral model, which is basically stating that if you want to see change, you need to have behavior, you need to have motivation, the ability, and prompt. So for any behavior to be, say, good or bad, it needs to go through a motivation, the ability to do it, and the prompt to do it. So if you want to think about it, if your motivation is high and your ability is low, the likelihood of you doing that behavior is very little. The same way, if your ability is really high, but your motivation is low, you're not obviously going to do it. So you need to have a certain level between motivation, certain level of ability, and you need something to prompt it. So you can see that we've often spoke about this in terms of, you know, the environment plays a big role in how you do things, but it also allows you to design the habits and change within your environment. So for instance, if you go to bed and you like to scroll Twitter, you like to scroll Instagram, you like to see all these things, right? We know that one, your ability is easy to scroll Instagram, it's not hard. And two, we know your motivation is relatively high because the motivation is built into the app. You get to see likes, you get to see other people, right? So the, since the motivation gives you a little bit of a feeling of, ooh, look how many likes I got, look how many hearts I got, look how many shares I got, the motivation is gonna be high, the ability is high, you're gonna repeat the behavior. So the prompt is you climbing into bed, I whip out my phone, I go through Instagram. So now if you follow that same behavioral model, you know that if you don't wanna be doing that, you can do one of few things. You can change the motivation, you can change the ability, or you can change the prompt. So climbing into bed is something you're always going to do. Yep, well you would hope. So the ability and motivation need to change. So that means that you can one, get rid of Instagram. That's a possibility, but majority of people are not going to do that. But motivation can change. And how you can change the motivation will mean that instead of when you climb into bed uh, having your phone next to you, you put it outside in terms of in the kid's bedroom or put it outside in front of the kid's room. So that means you need to go and get it. Or you put it in the office and lock the office. So you've now changed the motivation for you to get out of bed and go pick up your phone to create it. Now, because you've got a little bit of ex extra work needed, the motivation to do it has now decreased giving the chance of it not happening. So you can use that method to change a lot of your behaviors, but also create new habits. And this is where we look at it from a, a standpoint of going, if your behavior is too hard, that means the ability or motivation is too high. So how can we break down this into small habits that for the time being ensure that our motivation is high enough and our ability is high enough? And that's how you can see quite quickly to make change over a period of time. So that means that, for instance, like one of the clients this week, she was struggling on putting, getting herself to bed early. She was like, oh, I need to, I need to get to bed for half 10 she was going to bed around half 11, quarter to 12, around that period. So it's like, right, instead of trying to jump to half 10, why don't you just fall this week, go to bed five minutes early? It's only five minutes. The motivation to do it is high, the ability is there, and the prompt is you just going to keep a reminder on your phone to go to bed five minutes early. Perfect. So that means that for one week, we've already successfully created a habit it's tiny enough for us to succeed. It doesn't create too much for us. The baby is not too hard. 
For week two, we use the same method again. We just do five minutes prior to that first time. And you'll see as the weeks accumulate, you successfully moved your time from half 11 to half 10. Once that is there, you can now keep the behavior. Now you can focus on something else. So you can take this from a broad spectrum and use it to literally create behaviors for anything and everything in your life. If you want to clean the house, instead of saying, I'm going to clean the whole house, say every Monday, I'm going to clean one part of the fridge. Cool. Pretty simple. Because once you're cleaning one part of the fridge, you won't feel let down if you don't clean the whole fridge. But if you're there and feeling good, you'll clean most of the fridge. And you can use that simple aspect to create a lot of change within yourself, but a lot of change through other people as well by just simply teaching them the motivation, your ability, and your prompt. Do you think when, obviously you've said there that when people are trying to change something, mm. they try to change something rather than tweak something. Yeah. Why do you think then that so many people end up failing though because it will bring it back to kind of like the weight loss or for muscle gain or whatever it may be what kind of traits or what kind of things do people bring with them or have you seen that people bring with them when they're trying to change Dallas is going to go on a rant here I can feel it <laughs> I'll try not to <laughs> it's very soft and well spoken um, not taking into account your biases or taking into account what have you done in the past. So a lot of people try to plan, right, for the future, and they don't acknowledge what they failed in the past. So they go like, I calorie counted 20 years ago. Very few people actually would have, but anyway, we'll go with it. Um, 20 years ago, and that's that, failed a couple of times along the way. I'm going to start that now. Instead of recognizing that that method might have worked in the beginning, but it still didn't work for you completely. It still didn't get you to your end goal. So we assume we're going to take this new plan and we're going to go, right, we're going to take the same thing that we've already done because it feels new. It doesn't feel new to us, slightly comfortable with that, and therefore it's a little biased. And that bias now undermines you into the future. And it's like realizing that if you don't take some of your mistakes, you don't take some of your failures and don't actually understand that and then move on, you're in a better situation. You can also bring in like economics and the sunk cost effect as well. Sunk cost fallacy? Yeah. Do I talk about sunk cost fallacy? So basically, if you're the quickest and easiest way, it's just like if you've bought a car, right, and you don't end up using your car, right, we consider it a problem. So you're going, oh, I need to drive my car more often because I need to make sure that it's worthwhile and that I've actually used the money that I've actually paid to the car. I'm still looking at going, that's past. You've already put money into it. It's gone. That is no longer part of your decision-making. It's how do you make a better decision now? And you can use that same thing with, obviously, your biases towards the past, which is you bought yourself a weighing scale, you're stepping on the weighing scale, and it gave you quite a little bit of problems. So instead of looking and going, no, no, I need to step onto it, it's like, yeah, you've already put money into it, yeah, cause you problems, throw it out the window, move on, pick a different approach, it's going to see a better actual return. You can use that approach. It's also just trying to look at your own internal identity and your own ways of where things go wrong. And that's a lot where behavior goes wrong. And also people take too much on in the beginning, like it's ridiculous. 
people go like, yeah, I want to go from zero to 100 in one week. And then you go, but if you built the tiny habits over time, and I know like when we've spoken about this all the time, that compounding effect makes a big change overall. And that's what you're really looking for when it comes to change. And like for some people, you're going to have high motivation and the ability to change a lot in the beginning. But most of us don't. We have life stresses. We have kids. We have ridiculous amount of work. Like you've got all these other things you need to look after. So it's like try and make tiny habits. Stop trying to make big leaps and bounds. And then you're in a better position to change. And one of the things that we mentioned at the beginning before kind of going into some cause fallacy is what people bring in with them. And they kind of bring it in deadlines and say, well, I'm going to, I normally stop or I normally fail on a diet after say six weeks. It's like, yeah, but that's, you're bringing that story with you. You're deciding to bring that story with you. You've attached yourself to that failure. So every time you go forward, it's going to happen every time. It's like you're expecting to fail. So you're kind of like almost like a, a kind of a mind calendar. You're kind of like ticking off the X's and X and counting down the days to like, right, this is six weeks. So now I have the excuse now because I told myself at the beginning. Uh, it's like because, oh, once I got hit by a car walking across the road. So I'm going to get hit by a car every time I cross the road. Mm. But if you took potentially the precaution and say, no, I actually went to the traffic lights this time, pressed the button, I went across where I was meant to go rather than trying to just run across the busy motorway. Yeah. That could have been a better option, a better approach. You've altered your approach. Potentially the approach that you took the first time went too gung-ho. And you need to take a step back and say, well, what, what didn't work? Yeah. And more often than that, when dieting and trying to lose weight, trying to be muscle or bring on muscle is impatience. Mm. Like we want everything now. And it's the hardest part as a coach and a practitioner is trying to bring back people from well you're here now but you want to be an olympic sprinter in 12 weeks that's not going to happen like if you look at say usain bolt's a perfect example usain bolt does what say nine point i don't like some person's going to quote me on his time now i'm going to be well 9.58 i could be wrong seconds for 100 meters but we don't see what he does in the background Mm. he trains for nine and a half seconds or 10 seconds race but he trains all the habits he gets his nutrition on point he gets his sleep on point he gets his nutrition recovery on point he creates the environment for himself but a lot of people don't want to create that because they feel it's going to be too overwhelming Mm. and that overwhelm can happen for a lot of people how have you found kind of overwhelm with with clients with so much, so much information, so many different approaches. What's the right approach for me? Why hasn't this worked for me before? I think the easiest part is just pick one and try. And it's it's the hardest thing to try and get a client to recognize that, that we're not taking in all this information. We're not bringing in everything to get this going. I want to see you do one thing and I want to see you do it well. <laughs> and we can build this up over time because we're, there is so many different ways you can do this. But we often get uh, paralysis by analysis, you know, like too much information is going to stop you from doing something. So it's like, so then stop taking all the information and pick one thing that goes, "Hmm, yeah, that's intriguing enough or that that seems simple enough for me. Let's take that. Wow. 
it gets easier, but you've also got to deal with the understanding of why do you feel that overwhelmed? Where, where is that coming from? And when you can understand where some of that's coming from, you can then deal with it. But that also means you need to have a little bit of internal thought monologue. You need to have some introspection in that sense. You need to ask yourself these things. And if you're not ready for that, well, then you're going to find out some really uncomfortable problems. I know you do a few things with them as well with your clients. What do you like to do? So I know on the initial consultation, when people have an, like they've heard, say, the podcast, where's where most of my clients come from, or they've been referred on to me by someone else or a doctor or whatever it may be, um, the biggest thing that they find is that the questionnaire has different things. But what the way that the, the questionnaire is streamlined, and you've, you've, you've added things since you came on, mm in that they're asked for in a particular way so we get a particular answer so that we can frame answers to or questions to them. And then one of the big things that we try to make people figure out is why we do something or why they do something. Why have they failed before? Why are they failing? Or why have they failed before? What approach have they taken? Are they um, taking an all or nothing approach? Are they having a defeatist negative attitude and looking through a life through a negative lens? Are they criticizing themselves? Are they dealing with criticism from others? Are they sabotaging themselves because of their self-worth? All these things kind of come in. And when we're younger, one of the biggest things that happens is when we're around, whoever we're around when we're a kid, we sponge off them, how they do things, they're mimic all them. We're like, we're like parrots in that we kind of just mimic whatever noise comes out. It's the exact same thing. We're like sponges. We sponge everything that kind of happens as kids. I don't think people realize that as well, is that when we say something about say a food or we say something about ourselves, our kids are going to pick up on that. And if someone is talking about, Oh, I, I feel fat. Your kid's going to pick up on that. And your kid's going to be like, potentially like why? Like they're going to pick up that word fat. They're going to pick up and so say that with a negative connotation. So then they're going to bring that stigma to them into adulthood. Then they're potentially going to struggle. So it's really trying to catch yourself. Like, and there's no wrong way or right way to parent. And I'm not a parent and Dallas isn't a parent. And this is one thing that we always have to be cautious of. We're not trying to tell you how to parent. We're trying to kind of advise people on what you say, treats, banning, giving rewards to food, to, to kids for being good. That means that they, they, they potentially get punished by not having certain foods. So you can't have, a, you can't, there's no such thing as good or bad foods, but if you're getting punished, for not for and then taking the food away from them then there's a reward system when someone's like pass an exam or anything like that bring them for dinner don't say oh we're bringing you for a treat saying right we're going for mcdonald's we're name the actual food mm. and i think the biggest thing that i find with people is they bring it's hard they, they haven't dug into why they do actual things they're afraid to dig in and it's the most uncomfortable thing i've done it i've had to do it but I also don't, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't have done it. Yeah. That's as morbid as that is. And there's also times I have to catch myself. It's always going to sneak back in, but it's because I've done the other work in the background that I can catch myself. Like if one technique has worked for you, potentially food diary, so counting calories isn't for everyone, potentially it's a food diary and you're finding yourself that you're getting a little bit bogged down in it. Well, then we can use another tool. Why can we do photos of your food or I'll get bogged down that potentially count your calories get bogged down on that well, then can we do a, mood, a food and mood journal to identify where how you're feeling around foods it's about having different tools different armories for each client not all our clients i would say 
50% of my clients are counting calories, if yep. not less. Yep. Um, and some clients have never counted a calorie in their lives and have lost 25 kilos. So it, 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 it's a different approach. And like they've tried different things. They've tried slimmer clubs. They've tried the tracking. They've tried uh, different elements of of kind of like the food and mood journal, the CBT stuff, we're going to talk to someone and we're not, a, I'm not afraid to pass someone else on to a coach them potentially uh, a little bit more suited to or refer them out to a, a, a counselor or whatever, maybe and work alongside it. Literally some, I got, I, I was talking to Dallas about uh, one of the clients earlier. I was like, yeah, because something was happening from when they were a kid and potentially they wanted to dig a little bit more into that and identify they were doing something. I think that's the biggest thing is like, I don't think people realize they do something because you can't do, there's, there's a reactive reaction to something. There's always some, a reason why we do something. And we, it's about identifying that for someone. And that's the uncomfortable part for a lot of people. Mm, uh, that's true. And I think like also, I think we are give a little bit of help on that aspect as well, that if you want to stop a habit that you believe is not good enough for you or it's not helping you, the same way that the maps so of motivation, ability, and prompt helps you create a habit is the same way you will end up making it less likely to occur. So it's like step one, write down what you would like to stop, but be specific about it, right? So it'll be like... So I'll, I'll, I'll be your client. So say I will do a client case or a client call now. So um, you can ask the questions to me and I will answer them. I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, okay, cool. So what is a couple of behaviors that you currently struggle with that you would like to change? The, then the main one is picking in the evening. Okay. And does this happen every evening or is it just one evening? Uh, most evenings after work. Okay. And when it happens, what emotion comes from it? Uh, I'm not sure what kind of emotion. I think it's kind of when I feel I kind of come back home um, or I finish work and I feel like I just need to unwind with like a glass of wine. Okay. So when you do that, do you feel better from it or do you feel nothing? I don't really feel anything to be honest with you. Okay. So why would you like to stop that behavior then? Because I feel it's having an impact on my mood. I feel it's having an impact on my sleep. Okay. That's good. That That's a very positive thing you would like to change. In doing so, what is the last thing you tried to do to stop this behavior? I went cold turkey, but then I replaced it with chocolate. Okay, so we used one method with another and inadvertently created it. So if you have some time, what I would like you to do is whip out a piece of pen and paper, and we're going to try and do a little three-step process to try and see how we can create a better plan for stopping some of the habits you wish. How's it sound? Brilliant. Okay, so first one I would like you to do is you're going to take the pen and pencil and you're going to write down what specifically do you want to stop about your eating habits. So it should be, for instance, it would be like, I would like to stop eating chocolate every night. Okay. So the next step now while looking at it, you want to look at it from the think of ways in which you might remove this or avoid the prompt for it. So if you can think of anything, so basically make sure there's no chocolate in the house or whatever that prompt may be. So try and come up with three to four different ways you could possibly avoid the prompt to eat the chocolate. 
And the big prompt is when the kids are around or my partner's bringing stuff in and he's coming back from work and he's bringing stuff into the house. I, I struggle to say no. Okay. So do you believe it's tied predominantly to the kids and the partner? Potentially. Okay. So at least that's going to be one aspect. So what can be another another one? Uh, mood. Definitely I find that when I'm a little bit more tired, I tend to go for the the less nutritious stuff. Okay. And then and the third one, what else could possibly help? Stress management work is quite busy at the minute. Okay. So now, now we have three possible ideas on how to remove said habit, right? Step three is pretty simple. So for each habit that we want to do, so in your case, it'll be the chocolate, we need to find ways to make this harder for ourselves to do it, right? Or remove the motivation to do it. So to do it, we're going to stick with uh, ability first. So what makes it harder for to eat chocolate? Don't put it in the house. Cool. What else? Don't buy the multi-packs. Okay. And number three? Uh, potentially have a conversation with the partner and say, could we refrain from bringing it in? Good. I really love that one. So now step four, how do we reduce our motivation for it? Potentially try to get a little bit more fruit into the kitchen so that it's changing the, this is going to be me putting the client, the, the, the PT head on here. Uh, putting the more fruit into the kitchen so that if I want something, I can still get fruit and sugar into my system. Perfect. You've got another two more. So what's number five? Uh, potentially saying if my, if my, the other half is bringing food in, what's kind of saying, could you bring something else home? Perfect. Good one. And then last one. Uh, if I'm feeling stressed, I need to kind of potentially wait 20 minutes. And right. if I still want it in 20 minutes, have it, but, take a couple of big deep breaths in, wait 20 minutes and write down and identify how I'm actually feeling. Perfect. So now we have five possible six technically ways of combating this behavior within yourself. Now looking at these six, I would like you to circle two to three of the ways that we're going to use to that are, in your opinion, look the best to help you. Okay, so that I do think the, the being conscious of what I'm having and like the, the, the pausing, mm-hmm. uh, I do think, I think that would be the the biggest one because I'm definitely finding it's definitely more happening when I'm a little bit more emotional or stressed. I think that's the, definitely the big one. Potentially bringing more fruit into the house because I also think the kids will benefit from it. Mm. Uh, and whatever I can bring into the house, they'll eat yeah. their kids. Um, and then potentially also having a chat with the, with, with the other half to, mm-hmm. um, to help out a little bit more. Uh, where possible. Perfect. I love the three that you picked. So based on those three, what we're going to do for next week, what we're going to do is we're going to pick one of those specifically, and we're going to try and test it so we know it's one small habit. And we're going to just try and work that in throughout the day. We're not going to get too caught up on if it doesn't go to plan. But we also know that specifically that if one of them doesn't go to plan, we still have another two to choose from. And then once we've used that and we see change, from that point, now can we look and go and do we need to maybe bring in another solution or do we run this again and find another habit that we need to work on? And that's essentially how you'd run through that. Perfect. And I think like, if any PTs and stuff, there are other tools in the in the, the arsenal as well. But I do think that tool has definitely 
trying to create options, but also making the client realize the options themselves. So asking the right questions is, is definitely beneficial of saying like, why, why are we doing things? And what recognizing, like, what are the triggers recognizing what the environment is recognizing the surroundings and making the client realize why they do actual things and make them come up with the answer because it's all well and good us. We know the answer probably straight away, but there's no point in us trying to go, well, here we go because they're not going to learn anything from, they're not doing the soul searching, they're not doing the the habit or they're not looking at the behaviors themselves. They need to identify them. And having the three options or four options or whatever it may be, but if one doesn't work, well, we can work on the other one and then we can work on the other one. But it's also realizing that, that they're not going to be changed overnight. They're not going to happen every single time. But if you even reduce that by even one, 2%, that's still going to, that still could make a massive difference to how you feel, how you look, how you want to look, and to your goal overall. Yep. And I think it's also realizing that there's there's going to be a motivation wave that you're going to go through, right? So uh, BJ Fogg goes through it in terms of when he talks about the motivation wave that you're going to have times where motivation is going to be high and you're going to have motivate when time motivation is going to be low. And in terms of majority, because we deal with a lot of female clients, motivation is often low in and around your cycle. So that means that when motivation's high and you want to make the most amount of change, that's where you want to take the harder things to change. That's where you want to make the biggest kind of crazy goal you can think of like, oh, I'm going to do all the cleaning in the house this in one day. Because your motivation is high, use it and understand that because it's going to naturally start declining, then you've got to make sure that the goals and habits in place are going to correspond with that low coming in. So you can now create quite an auto-regulated approach to your habits. So you can go base it on your four-week cycle, so uh, per week, right, and go week one, I'm at the highest motivation, and then it dwindles all the way to week four. So that means that between week one and two, you're going to have the hardest things you're going to do in terms of motivation and ability-wise. But then, you know, week three and four is going to decline, decline, decline. And those habits in week three and four are there to just ensure that not only are you doing what's necessary to get you to your goal, but it's also making sure that you are looked after. So now you can take motivation and behavior and the habits in place and start truly creating some crazy cool things that can improve you and see change with you in the long run because you're basing it on in terms of when motivation is high and when it's low and linking it to you as a person. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I do think... It is identifying when the person does. And I spoke about it a few, I think we talk about it in one of the female fat loss episodes about kind of identifying your your four seasons that Red School talk about yeah. and identifying that. And you can recognize um, when you're feeling low in energy, high in energy, when you're craving more libidos or more and identifying that. And that's why it's easy beneficial to track your cycle. And if you haven't tracked it, I would highly encourage you to do it because you can't expect everyone else to understand how your body works if you can't understand how your body works. Um, I do think it's an important, you mentioned kind of the psychological side of things as well. And I do think it's important for us to kind of talk about the most common psychological barriers to weight loss that we see um, from people um, on a daily basis. And this is from, this is from compiled from research. This is compiled from, kind of working with clients as well some of the most common things that kind of come up i'm sure that someone listening to this will probably identify with one two if not all of them mm-hmm. as they kind of go along 
Uh, but I do think in the first step is kind of identifying, is there any sabotaging behaviors and recognizing, do they actually exist? Yep. Do you fear failing? Do you fear the, uh, do you value other people's opinions over your own self-worth? And do you, do you value your self-worth? Is your self-worth really, really low because of the, the lack of change or the lack of uh, change that's happened in your life and you're letting that stop you. Um, and it's kind of saying to yourself, well, nothing's really going to change if you stay still. And nothing's re- the only thing I can guarantee is if you sit still and you want to do something is you're going to fail. So it's kind of a little bit of ironic when people talk about, well, I'd rather stay where I am. But if you're not happy where you are, you're not a tree, you can move. Yeah. And even a tree moves, a wave it moves with the wind. The roots are set, but they all, the roots are also growing. They're digging into the, they're, they're still moving. They're looking for more oxygen. They're looking for more air. They adapt to the soil. They can't get to one place, they'll go to another place. They'll still move. Uh, but I do think one of the big common things is all or nothing approach. This zero to 120 miles an hour approach that a lot of people do take. And... Yeah. Like anyone can overcome any challenges and time and perseverance, but when people get caught in the trap of weight loss, they'll see they'll, they think they'll never see progress, and they they think they're always going to be overweight. But their stories that we told ourselves because of the failure that we've had potentially before, the reality is that change will take time. It's like that compound effect. It's like if you don't get a mortgage with one paycheck. Well, if you do, fair play to you, by the way. But <laughs> exactly. It's like, damn. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But if you don't get a mortgage on the first paycheck, it's the exact same thing. So why do we beat ourselves up about that side of things? You don't you like don't quit before you even get started by demanding to see instant results and then halting your progress when it doesn't happen. It's counterintuitive to what you actually want to do if it's something you want to do. But by having a goal of like, I want to lose weight, losing weight isn't a big enough goal. Wanting to put on muscle isn't a big enough goal because you have to identify what is the emotional attachment to it. You mm. don't go into work every day being motivated, but the end goal is a paycheck. It's the exact same thing with weight loss. You don't go into the gym. You don't go training every single day, feel on the top of your game, but you have an end goal in mind, it's body composition. You want to get into photos with your kids. So they'll remember you and your parents uh, and your grandparents or whatever it may be. So you have an emotional attachment to it. Without the emotional attachment to it, there will be no why. There, the second one be kind of like a defeatist or negative attitude. When you get caught in this whole dieting circle, dieting trap, and you fail so many times, a defeatist attitude or a negative connotations and just live in a world of kind of gray and the self-esteem will be knocked down. But you also rob yourself of motivation from that side of things because you're almost choosing not to kind of go for the the healthier options or choosing not to exercise because it's just easier and you you need to kind of remember to actually choose to replace the negative thoughts with positive equivalents so that there's a thing called ants which is anti-negative thoughts and i think it's by doc amen i think i could be wrong but he talks about ants are infestations they kind of creepy crawly in the house they come into the kitchen and they go everywhere and the only way to get rid of them is to actually put out, I think it's hot water. Uh, but he talks about anti-negative thoughts is for every one negative thought that comes into your head, you must have two positive affirmations afterwards. Over time, that will be retraining the muscle. So say if you're looking in the mirror and you don't necessarily look like something about yourself, 
we I can look in the mirror, Dallas could look in the mirror and say, right, I need to get my traps bigger. I need to get my arms bigger. There's always something that you can improve on. <laughs> Dallas has just checked him out, checked himself out. Um, but we can all pick on points that we don't necessarily like, but there there is something that you do like. Is mm. it your smile? Is it your eyes? Is it your nose? Is it your hair or lack of hair? Uh, in my case, <laughs> it always brings it back to the bald. Uh but soon this will come kind of second nature. So if you're breaking, another thing that I use with clients is fact v. opinion. Is break the column into left-hand side fact, right-hand side opinion. So fact, my name is Shane. Opinion, I am not worthy to get my goal. So you're writing it down in black and white. You're making yourself think about it. Are you creating the situation or are you choosing to, to attach your self-worth to that situation? Over time, you'll say, right, I have full control over what I want to do. I have full control of how I think about things. And that will remove the next one, which is the self-criticism. Self-criticism can kind of erode confidence and kind of um, can undermine weight loss efforts as well. Instead of kind of criticizing yourself constantly and berating yourself, focus on little things that you're doing right. Did I get up in the morning? Did I get my three regular meals in? Did I get for a walk? Did I ring a friend? Focus on these small accomplishments, these little habits that Dallas has spoken about already. Make a list of the following things that you've implemented, like foods you replaced with healthy alternatives. Uh, did you potentially bring a, a little bit more water rather than trying to go for coffee today? Did you get to sleep earlier? Did you put your phone out of your room? Focus on, right, I did that four out of seven times. Well, I did it only three times last week, so I did it four times this week. Something small. And that's one of the things that we bring in, the non-scale victories stuff. I think the other one is thinking that you're not alone. You need to realize that there is a support network. Some people think that they don't have a support network, but a lot of people think that they don't have a support network because they haven't, they feel like they're going to be a burden to someone else. Mm. There's always someone on the other end of a phone, whether it be a friend, cousin, but you're like, oh, they're busy. But have you asked them? Have you tried to ring them? And they're like, no, but can you read their minds? No. Reach out. It's very difficult to make a major lifestyle change if you haven't got accountability or you haven't got support, which is what we try to offer to our clients. You need to book a or schedule in an appointment for yourself or whatever it may be, a you time in, potentially with a friend or whatever it may be. Meet people that you enjoy the company with. Bring someone, Skype, whatever it may be. Connect with connect with people, connect with a coach or whatever it may be and have that. I think the biggest thing that I found over the last little while, over the last, since COVID started anyway, is the um, that it's more of a mental support for people. The almost like a counselor-esque thing um over the last while more than oh here's a nutrition thing or a nutrition tip it's more of like questioning i think a lot of people have questioned an awful lot of stuff that kind of comes in yep. uh another one is the comparison to others comparison is a thief of joy is the one that will always come up on there if you want to listen to comparing yourself episode 178 uh, has been recorded it can be challenging but you must stop comparing yourself to people around you especially those in the media social media if you're getting triggered by people up on social media up on snapchat whatever it may be you kind of need to reduce your feed edit your feed this will hinder your goals if you if i can i can almost feel the relief that if you start editing your feeds you will almost feel and start to look and feel better in yourself the people that you're looking up on social media probably don't look like that in real life um incorporate something like yoga or meditation or breathing into it the breathing has changed so many clients lives just a big deep breath in to drop the kids off park up their car a couple of big deep breaths in 
and then they feel so much better. They're ready to take on the day. But that only took three deep breaths in. It's like didn't take, it wasn't a hell of a long time, which a lot of people think. Rushing to food for comfort. Food, if food isn't the problem, or if hunger isn't the problem, food's not the answer. Work on your hunger signals. Work on your because uh, intuitive eating is the buzzword out there at the minute. But I don't think a lot of people they understand what it is, but they don't necessarily understand how to apply it to themselves. And we don't get it right for ourselves. You even said yesterday when you were talking about when you were doing exams, yeah. you put on weight when you were doing exams because you're having a little bit more food. Oh yeah, well, I enjoyed it, but I went to like it was that whole aspect. It's you don't realize what's happening at the time. You're not actually being present in the moment, and when you're not present in the moment, intuitive eating can go completely out of the window. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. But Dallas has recognized that. Dallas has kind of said, right, this is potentially what I'm going to be doing for a few weeks. And it's my other goal can be put on a back burner. And my goal for now, my focus is my exams. That's exactly what he did. But now he's recognized, well, what can I tweak for the next time? Dallas was bringing a meditation into his exams and that calmed him down completely. But he had the hindsight and the foresight to bring that in. Um, So if we can kind kind of... see exercise and kind of go for a walk rather than reaching for food. You're still getting that endorphin, the, the, the exercise endorphin. You're getting that reward hormone of the dopamine as well. Like food isn't the answer. Like we all, we all emotionally eat. Birthdays, funerals, whatever it may be. They're all emotional occasions and we all have food around it. But we, so, we shouldn't see food as, oh, I'm trying to be perfect. I've messed up. I had one less nutritious meal. Same analogy comes back is you wouldn't puncture the rest of your tires if you got one flat tire on your car. You would try to fix and repair the first tire. The other one is self-punishment. Self-punishment goes beyond criticism. Criticism is the daily nagging voice that says, you know, you shouldn't do this or shouldn't eat this. You look terrible in this dress. Self-punishment is the voice that says you're a terrible person and you don't deserve to be happy. This can be an indicator of clinical depression. I think it's hugely important to go and talk to someone about this. But it's also kind of looking at where is that come from? Is that from a comment that has been made to you when you were younger? Is that coming from a comment that was said to you by a family member? When it's coming from family members, it's very, very difficult not to latch on because our family are meant to be there as, as our support network. If a mom or a parent or a grandparent has made a comment about you when you're a kid or you may be a little bit um, chubbier as a kid and said um, you should lose weight, that's a very hard thing to drop. But that's also not your identity. You're more of a person than how you look. You're still a person. Doesn't matter how anyone looks, they're still a person. And the person is dropped. But we identify with, with that negative language, that negative connotation towards that sentence that has been said about us. We put ourselves last as the last one. The, I talk about the people-pleasing episode, the demands of the job and family can infringe on time, can infringe on infringe on what people eat at home. Oh, I'm busy. I have no time. You do have time. It's just that you don't value doing the other things. If you're the primary kind of chef at home, driver for the kids, bring in something for you each time. What can you do for yourself? Is it the breathing in the car? Is it going for a coffee? Is it going for a half an hour walk? Get your kids and your spouse involved. Uh, you'll be surprised when you're leading by example how soon they'll follow by example. And that's one thing that I've one of the clients, something clicked with one of the clients recently is she's been a little bit under the weather and her husband, we were talking about the example, 
her husband was bringing her like brownies and stuff back home. And I kind of hinted, well, well, bring the brownie. And the kids were kind of watching her having the brownie because it's like, it's a oh, mom's unwell. Let's get the brownie into the house. It's like, all right. So why don't you break the brownie up for the kids? Let's get them involved. They're going to remember that time they have a mom uh, when they're lying on the bed. And she's like, that's like life-changing. And then they've done it. And the kids are going to remember that. Bring more fruit in. Bring more fruit into the house. And then she sent me a picture the next day. All the kids are having pots of fruit and she's never seen it before. It's something small and something subtle as that can change. You're leading by example. So someone else will follow. We, we all go for these people who are top of their games. We read all these books about these people who are top of their games, but we can be the top of the game in the family if we wanted to. Lead by example, lead by from the front. Bring in some routine exercise. You're more useful to someone if you have some time for you. You can't keep pouring from an empty jug. It's going to fail. Go for a bike ride in the weekends with your kids. I know one of my clients is that she trains with her son. She, cause she, um, she goes for bike rides with her son as well. And it's time that he's going to remember. He's in his teenagers. I know as a teenager, I didn't want to hang out with my parents. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, completely that. Um, but then he's going to remember that time and he's going to bring that to his kids and next generation. By building kind of like that, that steady foundation of the, the, the mental health foundation or whatever it may be and kind of like eradicating or kind of removing the psychological barriers that undermine your success, you free up more energy to encourage yourself, to be more positive towards yourself on your weight loss journey. You, if you keep going to back towards the negative, negative thoughts are like Velcro and positive thoughts are like Teflon, they slide off. We, we, we have full control over how, what power we give those negative thoughts. Our brain will go to negative. It's what it does. It tries to protect us, but it's up to us what we latch onto. So my rant and my mic drop is ensuing. Oh, yep, it's 100%. You nailed the moon ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, so like I, th- I know there's so much in what we've spoken about. I, I, I do think if someone is kind of trying to figure out and trying to understand what their triggers are, um, I do think it's important for it to potentially listen back to the kind of like the client, the typical client conversation that we would have with our clients and identify is any of that happening with, with whether it's alcohol, whether it's chocolate, whether it's whatever it may be. Oh yeah. Have the have the conversations with the with those around you. You full control of what you can bring into the house, and it's not depriving yourself. Like if you want to have the chocolate, have the chocolate, but it's the it's the amount of chocolate. Slow down your eating. My clients are always fascinated when they they actually do the chocolate trick onto their tongue. Put the chocolate onto their tongue. Let it disintegrate and melt in your tongue. You will taste the chocolate for the first time in your life rather than trying to wolf it down. Yeah. You're not even eating the chocolate when you when most people are sitting there. They're inhaling the chocolate. Oh, yeah. And then you take that one step further and now write down what you tasted, what you felt, what emotions occur to your body, what triggers. And I guarantee you the amount of chocolate you need is not as much as you think anymore. No. It's not conscious. And then it's exactly what you said. The emotion afterwards, like that actually was pleasurable. I don't feel guilt afterwards because I don't feel like I've messed up my, my routine. Yep. And the food and mood journal for a lot of clients has changed so much. Um, so very grateful for Jane bringing that back in. Um, so like change barriers, psychological barriers to weight loss, uh, some cost fallacy. Um, so I think, you guys wanted more mindset episodes. If you want to continue doing more mindset episodes, uh, we will continue to do so. Just send us a, pop us a message on what you would like covered. Uh, is there anything else you want to add, Dallas? 
No, think let you just be willing to have a little bit of fun or uncomfortableness in regards to your own personal growth. You know, there is going to be blips in the, in the road and it's not going to be something that you can let you just open the door tomorrow and everything is solved, but it's systematically opening and walking through the door step by step each day and you will see the success and see the change you're truly looking for. I think what you said there, like you have to remember that you are human. You will mess up. Yep. You will get things wrong. But it's the language and the attitude and the wording, the punishment, the rewards, the comfort, where you go for your comfort and your all that kind of stuff comes back into it. Um, so guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you enjoyed the episode at all, please do tag us up on your story. Please do continue to leave a review up on iTunes. The next few episodes are and like that the, the guests that are coming on are, are quite scary. I know Dallas is very excited for one in particular. He's actually trying to get me to send him the episode before it's out. I'll see. I'll have to I'll have to duck to duck the salary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll threaten him I'll charge him for the podcast um, but thank you very much guys and thank you so much Dallas it's always a pleasure thanks for having me